Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. Today's topic, education. We speak with the head of the largest school district in Southern Arizona. Then we'll head to a classroom to talk with teachers as they prepare for a new school year. Earlier this year, teachers across the state walked off the job for five days as part of the Red for Ed movement. Tens of thousands of teachers and school staff took their demands for better pay to the state capitol. They received some of what they demanded. That all happened at the end of the last school year. Students across Arizona are now returning to class. Dr. Gabriel Trujillo, the superintendent of the Tucson Unified School District, joined us to talk about changes coming in this new school year. The start of the new school year is here. What impact will the Red for Ed movement and everything that came out of that have as teachers head back to the classroom, kids head back to the classroom, and we really get going? When you're talking about the impact of Red for Ed, we're talking about the governing board and their passage of a salary package that effectively makes Tucson Unified School District teachers some of the highest paid in all of Pima County. I think we're bar- we're number two barely. And that's been wonderful for teacher retention. It's been wonderful for our ability to go out and hire teachers. We're going to start the year with fewer teacher vacancies. And I think that that's the immediate impact is that we'll now be able to open school with teachers that are better compensated, teachers that have been attracted to our system because of the increased compensation. And I think the immediate impact will be fewer long-term subs and vacancies in classrooms across the district. You touched on a number of topics uh, that I want to get into, but so let's just kind of tick them off. Starting with that money that came from the legislature, some school districts put it all to teachers. Other school districts used it in other ways. TUSD was one of those school districts that didn't use it all for teachers, uh, at least right away, uh, looking at other support staff and other needs. Why did you make that decision? We ended up in the end honoring legislative intent. The legislative intent for the new Red for Ed monies was that all of those dollars would go directly to teachers. That was not my original recommendation as superintendent. Uh, I think as the media did report, my original recommendation was to take some of those dollars and to use it towards some of our capital needs and to address some of the buses and some of the facilities issues that we have around the district. And then also to use some of those dollars to be able to provide some sort of a salary increase for some of the other educators in our district, our support staff, our education support professionals, our bus drivers, and our custodial. As everything and anything that has to do with the budget, it is subject to governing board approval. Our board did a good job of considering my proposal, but in the end uh, made the decision that uh, honoring legislative intent would be the priority which is why in the end we did end up shifting 100% of the Red for Ed dollars towards teacher salaries. You mentioned that TUSD has a teacher shortage. I don't think TUSD is necessarily alone in this, but in years past at the beginning of the school year, we've had a notable shortage. Where are we as we start this school year? We're looking a little better. And at this point right now, we have 129 vacancies for 90 90 campuses 
And our goal is to start school with as close to zero as possible, and if not zero, fewer than one vacancy per campus. So for us, that magic number would be 88 or 89. Uh, We started the 14-15 school year with almost 170 vacancies. So we're in a really, really good spot. This is our final drive home. We just had another job fair event shortly before the July 4th break that resulted in several hires. So we're feeling really, really good about being in a good spot. What is it that leads to a classroom shortage on the opening day of school? Obviously, as you said, this is an ongoing problem and one that seems to be getting better, but still an ongoing problem. What is it that's that's leading to this shortage? Well, systemically, when you look at everything that the research says about why teachers quit the profession, there's two main drivers for that, salary and working conditions. Teachers quit working conditions as much as they quit salaries. They quit high class loads. They quit non-responsive administrations. They quit lack of supplies. They quit lack of equipment. They quit dilapidated buildings and dysfunctional teams just as much as they will walk away from a job because of salary. So it is my main commitment now at this particular point is to reshift our organization inward for a new commitment to service. I call it fast service, being incredibly flexible and accessible and service oriented and transparent with our resource deployment, our supplying of schools and classrooms, our expenditure of money and our service to classroom teachers so that we can focus on the factor of teacher quit decisions that we actually can control which are those working conditions. I think we took a great step forward with addressing salary, but I think if you're really going to retain high quality teachers, it has to be a two-pronged approach. The district enrollment has also been shrinking. We've seen this since 2000 and, and really before, but Tucson as a whole is growing. How do those two numbers square up with each other? Is this a commentary on problem with TUSD, or or is this just a natural evolution in the change of Tucson? Well, the Tucson Unified School District, I'm not telling anybody that's listening anything new, has long suffered from a negative perception in the mind of John Q. Taxpayer and John Q. Parent. When you mention TUSD, it automatically flashes in your mind, 40 years of desegregation, several superintendents over the last 10 years. DNF schools, big bloated district, administrative spending, we have to shift that narrative away from those automatic deficit-based thoughts to Tucson Unified School District, amazing magnet programs, two-way dual language schools all over the district, wonderful performance in fine arts, a college and career readiness CTE academy at Santa Rita High School. We, We have to do our part in helping get there so that we can become the parent's choice. We do want to be the premier K-12 option. We're having a conversation with Gabriel Trujillo, the superintendent for the Tucson Unified School District. You mentioned uh, the AZ merit test. TUSD has decided to begin the move away, joining a number of other school districts from that and replacing that standardized test with the ACT. Why was that decision made? Well, that decision, first of all, the AZ merit is alive and well. It is alive and well uh, with third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. Um, It's no longer alive at the high school. So we are still very much focused on AZ merit. Our curriculum is aligned to AZ merit. 
and the college and career readiness standards. But when you get to the high school, it's ACT. And the reason that probably one of the main drivers for the decision to move towards ACT from AZ Merit was really the labor intensive nature of the testing to administrate and facilitate the testing on some of our giant high school campuses like a Tucson High, Choya, Pueblo, we were losing seven to 10 days of instruction. It was a very much a logistical nightmare that consumed a lot of resources, had a lot of our teachers frustrated, lost instructional time. On the other side, ACT has kind of been the gold standard for college and career entrance exams in the district and throughout the state in terms of our juniors really looking at a standardized assessment and equating it with the urgency of college and career readiness and entrance exams. Now, not all of our kids choose to matriculate to college. We get that. But the ACT has long brought a stronger sense of urgency and seriousness and relevance on the part of the student body versus AZ Merit. You also mentioned desegregation. The legislature uh change the law so that the money TUSD has received for court order desegregation can't come from a primary property tax. It has to now come from a secondary tax. The county then said they're not going to set up a second property tax to collect the funds for the district. Pima County Administrator Chuck Huckleberry was pretty strong on that issue. Let's listen to what he had to say. When the legislature changed the statute, uh, they forgot the Constitution actually uh, defines what is a secondary property tax, and desegregation funding was not defined in the Constitution. With that being said, is TUSD going to have to sue the county, um, and therefore, I guess, through the legislature to try and get this overturned, or, or how do we get the money? Well, well, first of all, just a 30,000-foot overview of where we're at for the listening public so any time that you are going in excess on the primary tax rate of 1%, that requires usually a ballot measure, right? And you have a ballot measure such as a bond or an override that the local population, the taxpaying population must vote on and approve to put into the secondary tax rate. The fact that that wasn't adhered to in this situation calls into question the constitutionality of the decision. That's what's being questioned here. Now, what does it mean for the Tucson Unified School District? Our annual desegregation budget is around $63 million because we don't have an answer yet because the county's tax levying agent, which is the county administrator's office, has openly said we will not be levying this tax. What we have on the table are $17 million dollars that we're now short of our $63 million, which would be our operating costs roughly from late November through July. So we have to get this situation remedied. We have to come to some sort of a resolution fairly quickly. We do have enough money to run through the first semester, barely. So we're looking for a speedy resolution. Now, what would produce the speediest resolution and the promptest resolution would be for the Tucson Unified School District to take legal action against the county for failing to levy this tax. What that would do, it would fast track this issue to be reviewed by state level court or perhaps spark a quick and expedient attorney general's opinion, which would probably come sooner rather than later, 
Whether or not the district takes legal action against the county is a governing board decision. I don't want to jump out in front of my board. They've barely had a couple of conversations. They will make a more definitive decision at the August 14th governing board meeting about the specific direction that they want to take. But talking about options and talking about what would produce the speediest response, yes, it would be taking legal action against the county. The courts can be speedy, but the courts are not always speedy. You've got the capital to get through the first semester. If the courts do not act in a manner quickly enough to resolve this before then, what happens? Do we not come back from the December break? I believe that that situation has the potential to be calamitous. If we run out of cash, it compromises our ability to comply with the order. We will remain under court supervision potentially for years to come, further frustrating taxpayers uh, in Pima County and inside of the Tucson Unified School District. If this matter is not resolved and we are still $17 million short, of course, there is a collaborative process that exists with the plaintiff parties. We will work collaboratively with them and with the court-appointed special master to really prioritize what are, here's our situation, what are the components of this court order that we would like as a group to prioritize with limited money, if no money, uh, that we would be able to work together with you on. At the most recent uh, school board meeting, TUSD governing board meeting, the topic came up of TUSD getting involved in the education of the 300 or so kids at the Southwest Key facility, which is where the federal government um, is housing some immigrant children. Um, the, the facility is in within the TUSD boundaries. Why talk about getting involved with that education? It speaks to who we are as educators. I made an oath a long time ago, the first time I walked into a classroom in 1998, to educate any child, any time, any place, and that every single child would have a place in my classroom. I operated under that guiding philosophy and belief as a teacher, as an assistant principal, as a dean, and now as a superintendent. It's not an immigration issue for us. It's not a political issue for us. It's an issue of what we believe in as a district and as educators. We have 300 children that need access to high quality student support services and counselors and social workers. They need access to high quality math instruction and literacy instruction and English language learning programs. They need access to our clothing banks, our cafeterias, our lunch programs, our breakfast programs. They need access to our interpreters and our meaningful access department. So for us, it's, it's a matter of, uh, of, a, of a moral responsibility, it's a philosophical responsibility, and anybody that's a public educator makes the same commitment to children. So I think we at least have the responsibility to stand up and ask the questions, can we get involved? Can we be the educational service provider for these 300 children um, to make sure that while they are under the care of Southwest Key that they are receiving high quality educational services. Southwest Key in Tucson opened up in 2014. Why now? I think right now it's it's heightened because of the political uh, and the emotional backlash that that's happened with the recent changes in, in national and, and federal law. I think the difference between 14 and now is now we we definitely dealing with the family separation issue, which we weren't in 14. We are now dealing with extended stays, three to four to five to six months, versus in 14, it was more of a short-term deal. 
I wrestle philosophically with having the knowledge that in our attendant zone in the Tucson Unified School District, that we could possibly have 300 pre-K aged children all the way up to sixth or seventh grade going five, six months with no educational services or limited educational services. All right. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us to talk about all things TUSD. Thank you very much for having me. Gabriel Trujillo is the superintendent of the Tucson Unified School District. Coming up after the break, we meet a teacher preparing for her first year at the school she grew up in, where her mother is also faculty. Welcome back to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week we're exploring education. We've heard from the top administrator at the Tucson Unified School District. Now we turn to the classroom. Natalie and Amanda Baker are mother and daughter, teaching the next generation at Bonillas K-8 School on Tucson's east side. Let's start with you, Natalie. Um, How long have you been teaching? 38 years. We don't hear that a lot necessarily of teachers. We hear a lot about teachers come in for a year or two and then they get out. Why did you stay in the business? Passion. I love to teach. Um, From the time I was a little girl, I wanted to teach. My parents wanted me to be an engineer. I tried it for one year in college. I went, this isn't for me and switched back into teaching. I've been teaching ever since. Amanda, you teach third grade. How long have you been teaching? I've been teaching seven years. Kind of the same reasons as my mom I grew up around teaching, and it's just something that I enjoy, like seeing kids learn and seeing those aha moments. Talking to new teachers, they always talk about the passion. After seven years for you, nearly 40 for you, but we'll, we'll start with you, Amanda. After seven years, do you still have that passion that you did coming out of college? I don't know. (laughs) It's new. I'm at a new school, so that is making a little more exciting. Um, Again, just getting to see the new opportunities that are coming up. But it is kind of hard in today's climate, staying passionate because of all the negativity that's coming at us from elsewhere. How did you keep the passion for for all those years? There are times when it's it's hard. 
and it has it's changed in 40 years from when I first started teaching. But the passion is still there. I can't wait to get back into the classroom and start setting it up for the new year and waiting to see the, the new faces that come into the classroom because they're eager to learn. Still teaching second and third grade, it's the kids are still ready to learn. They're eager to come to school and want to learn. Uh, but I have seen teachers burn out and more teachers burn out in the last 10 years than I saw in the previous 20. Why is that? Why are teachers, do you think, I mean, you have the experience to, to be an expert in this, why are teachers burning out more? More things that they have to do, um, or bookkeeping. I mean, it's things beyond teaching that that we have to do, all the record keeping that we have to do on the kids. Kids that are coming in that are broken, and we have to be there to help fix them. And some teachers, they start off in a real rough neighborhood, their school that they're at, and it's hard on them. They, they don't know what's going to happen in the neighborhood from day to day. And I see that across the country, not just here in Tucson. Amanda, you were nodding your head through all of that. Seven years makes you an expert also. Uh, has teaching changed over the seven years you've been in? Your mom referenced a 10-year window You were within that. Has it changed? I don't think it's changed in the 10 years or the seven years. Um, but it's changed from when I was in school. I don't remember my mom ever having to do some of the stuff that we have to do now. And I remember coming into the classroom as a student and being able to do different things and not having testing being such a big requirement. That puts a lot of stress not only on the teachers but on the students. And the teachers feel the stress that the students are feeling through this and the testing the paperwork, the parent relations, especially when parents aren't wanting to support teachers and support their own students at home. You mentioned the testing. It's something we hear about all the time. Um, it handcuffs teachers, it handicaps teachers. Candidates for statewide office say we need to give teachers more flexibility, more creativity. How does testing change the way you work in the classroom? And Amanda, we'll start to you and then come over to you, Natalie. Well, I feel like we have to make sure that we're hitting all of the standards. We had to do that before anyway, but we're having to hit all the standards and we're cramming them in because we don't have all year. Testing starts pretty much the beginning of fourth quarter. So we're supposed to be teaching four quarters worth of stuff in three quarters. I mean, it's, it's difficult to do that sometimes, and it's stressful. She's right. Um, it's, I don't want to say that we teach to the test, because that's not actually accurate either, but we, we do have to make sure that we get all of our standards taught to the kids sufficiently that they can pass the test. It is very stressful. As teachers, we talk about it, we don't have the freedom that we had to bring in extra things into the curriculum because we don't have time for it because we are making sure that all those standards are met. And so it is, it is difficult, but we want our kids to achieve, so we do it, but it's hard to put, put in those extras that they need, like music and art and the extra science that would be, be more hands-on than, than what we've got the time for. 
education is more than just learning to read and learning to do math. To have a really whole child, you need to be able to put everything in. Last year, at the end of the school year, there was lots of attention in the news to the Red for Ed movement and and the walkout and all of that. As classroom teachers, what do you all think of that, and what do you think of the end result? The end result was not as satisfying as we would have liked to have had it because educators as a whole consider our entire community that includes our office staff, our counselors, our social workers, our teacher aides, our people that work in the cafeteria, maintenance people, bus drivers. We didn't feel right getting a raise when they didn't. Especially in elementary school, kids are, as you said, not only they're excited to come back to school. Are the teachers excited to come back to school? Are you guys excited to you know, be back in the classroom? I am, and I'm excited to start at a new school. I'm excited to be coming back to Phonius as I was a student here. So that's kind of exciting to see and come back to my roots. So this year I'm excited to come back. Yeah, when she uh, interviewed and she called me the next day, she says, Mom, I'm coming home. <laughs> I felt like I was coming home. It, it was because she's, you know, she did come to school here, and I'm glad to have her here for a while. Yeah, the kids are going to be excited. I think most of the teachers are excited about the new school you're starting. Even teachers that have been teaching as long as I have, they're they're excited. Maybe not at the same level as our new kindergarten teacher that just graduated from uh, the university this year, but the excitement is still there. We're always planning. We're always thinking of new things, new ways to teach that will excite the kids. Um, It's always fun to see those kids that first day of school. Uh, Amanda, why'd you decide to come back to the school, the school you started in, quite literally? I've always wanted to teach here, ever since I started to um, go to the U of A for education. uh, I wanted to come back to Bonius and teach here. I like the philosophy and I like the the feel. When you were growing up, obviously your mom was a teacher, and I think a lot of parents want their kids to go into the, the family business, if you will. Did you always want to be a teacher? When I was a kid, I wanted to be anything and everything. I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be an archaeologist. I wanted to be a marine biologist. I wanted to do, I wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be, I played teacher a lot. So it, I think that all kind of played into becoming a teacher, though, because a teacher gets to do everything. We get to be a scientist. We get to be an artist. We get to be a writer. We get to be a musician with our kids. Natalie, as a mom, did you want Amanda to be a teacher, or did you not? Or some parents say, I don't want them in the business that I'm in. We always told the girls that whatever they chose to do, uh, we would back them. We never pushed them in any one direction, or at least we tried not to. Education is strong in my family. I have several aunts and uncles. I have several cousins. We've, we're all teachers. So it, in a way, it is the family business. It's obvious you both love what you do. Uh, you, you've also done it long enough that, that you've got some experience. You mentioned there's a brand new kindergarten teacher here, but anytime you come across a first-year teacher, Do either of you have advice for them? Read Harry Wong's The First Days of School. 
and get your classroom management set up in that first week and a half. That's very good advice. It's an excellent book. I often say to new teachers, I said, when you start in your school, there are two very important people that you need to make your best friends. The first one is the office manager, and the second one is the custodian. And then you need to really approach your team members and say, how do you set this up? I've not set up my classroom yet. Really get that rapport going with your teammates. And they'll be glad to help you. They really will. Thanks both for sitting down with us. Well, thank you. Thanks. Natalie and Amanda Baker are teachers at Bonias K-8 School in Tucson. Next week, we take you to Davis Monthan Air Force Base to meet the new commander. Zach Ziegler is our producer and audio engineer, and Andrea Kelly is the news director. Music is provided by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.